Father God, we come to you this morning thanking you, Lord, that we can always run to you. You're always there waiting with open arms, God, and I just want to thank you for that. Your love is... I just don't understand it sometimes, God, and I just want to thank you that you are always there and willing and waiting with open arms. And Lord, we come to you this morning just thanking you again um, for all that you have done, for all the evidence around us, Lord. We've heard so many testimonies this morning of your goodness, Lord, and we thank you for that. I just want to come now and ask, Lord, that you would be with Rick as he um, brings the message, that you'll continue to prepare our hearts, and Lord, that you'll just speak through him, Lord, to us. We ask these things in your son's precious name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. Haven't we been in Matthew chapter 5 for like six months? Well, we're going to be in it for a few more weeks. I'm super hot up here again. So not physically or any, I'm, the mic's super hot, so... <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, while you're getting there, let me kind of, huh? Thank you. Thank you, babe. As you're getting there, let me kind of get us back into the groove because it's been a few weeks, right? We had kids' service, we had Easter service, and so now we're jumping back into Matthew. And so back in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus shows up on the scene. He's baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit descends upon Jesus. The voice of the Heavenly Father affirms his pleasure in his Son, Jesus. Remember that? Then we get to chapter 4, and Jesus is immediately ushered into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil for 40 days without wavering. Good news for us. Jesus was victorious over temptation because we're not, right? We need the perfect life of Jesus lived on our behalf. And so he didn't waver over those 40 days. Then it says Jesus came out of the wilderness preaching and his, his message was really one sermon, but twofold, repent and the kingdom of God. That was his sermon, repent and the kingdom of God. In fact, uh, in chapter five, when we get to chapter five, Jesus sits down with his followers and he begins teaching them the way of God's kingdom. And then the rest of chapter 5, 6, and 7 is that teaching uh, from Jesus to his followers, famously known as the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus sat down on a mountain to teach. I mean, it's pretty clever, right? What should we call this sermon? Well, Jesus is sitting on a mountain. Hey, this is the Sermon on the Mount. So that's where he got his name. And so that's what we have. We have this famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon doesn't start. Here's what we've been talking about. Let's get us back in this group. This sermon doesn't start with Jesus telling us what to do, right? It doesn't. Jesus' sermon starts with showing us what to be. In fact, the first 12 verses, this is why it took us so long just to get to where we're at in Matthew 5, because we really took some time unpacking the first 12 verses, which is really a sermon within a sermon so famous, it has its own name. It's known as the, the Beatitudes. It's not the do attitudes. It's the Beatitudes. Be poor in spirit. Be mournful of sin. Be humble. Be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Be merciful. Be pure of heart. Be peacemakers. Be joyful in persecution for Christ's sake. Because when we are practicing the be attitudes, we are being most like Christ. 
That is the goal of Jesus' sermon to his followers, to teach us what it looks like to be most like him. That is the win for us as his followers, to emulate more and more the one whom we are following and submitting our lives to. Because Jesus says in verse 13 that we're the salt of the earth. In verse 14, he says, we're the light of the world. And then he says that we are to let our light, and then he defines what that is. That's good deeds, the good deeds that we do. Let your light, let your good deeds so shine to the people around you so that others can know and praise God. So we start with being, not doing, but our being, Jesus finally concludes, leads us to doing. I hope that made sense. So, now for the rest of Jesus' sermon, for the rest of chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus shows us what it looks like to be his follower and what we should do. If you like practical sermons, you're going to like the next several weeks because Jesus is done telling us, here's what you need to be. Now he says, all right, you like the list? You want the do's and the do nots? Here we go. Now, fair warning, for the next few weeks, there might be some topics that are a little hard to hear, okay? Uh, Jesus speaks on some things that I think Christians in general, the church in general, have kind of deemed untouchable because they're kind of hot topics. They're debatable. They're offensive. And so the church just decides, you know what? We're not going to go there. The problem with preaching verse by verse through a book of the Bible, Jesus goes there. (laughs) And so we have to take time to uh, read these verses and see exactly what Jesus is after. So anyway, just be forewarned, you will probably feel some conviction at some point. You'll probably be offended at something said. Just remember, I'm just the messenger, okay? Okay, these are not my words. These are the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the question is, did Jesus know that he was about to say some things that would ruffle some feathers in his audience, right? Did Jesus know that there was a chance that what he was about to say could upset his crowd? And the answer is, absolutely he knew. Perhaps that's why he started on this topic that we have to cover today, anger. (laughs) So if you're angry here this morning, It's either a really good week for you to be here or it's a really bad week. I'll let you and the Spirit decide by the end of this thing if that's that's a good deal or not, okay? So Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to jump right into this. Now, we are talking about anger. I know nobody in this room has an issue with anger, but we all know somebody who does, right? Yeah, it's not us. It's, It's the Free Will Baptist Church on the other side of town, right, Brett? That's all the angry people. We don't have any anger in this church. So, but, but for their sake, not your sake, but for our sake, for their sake, I mean, let's lean into what Jesus has to say, and let's just see if he wants to teach us, I mean, them, something here this morning. Verse 21 says this. Jesus says, you have heard that our, what our ancestors were told. You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Now, Jesus here is referencing God's law from the Old Testament, specifically the Ten Commandments. There's a verse within the Ten Commandments that says, thou shalt not murder, kill, right? And those Ten Commandments were handed down to Moses, which was to be given to God's people, the nation of Israel. And in that command, thou shalt not kill. Seems like a good law. 
Like, that's what I say all the time. I don't know why even unbelievers would argue with the Ten Commandments. Like, not killing people is a pretty good law, believer or unbeliever, right? We shouldn't go around just killing people we don't like. And if we do, there are consequences. There's a trial. There is a judgment rendered, and there's justice hopefully served. Come on. We all, we all can hopefully agree this morning, thou shalt not kill is a good law for us to abide by, right? Jesus says, we've all heard that said. We all know that law. You must not murder, verse 22. But I say, but I say, you've heard it said, don't kill. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment, You've, Jesus says, you've heard it said that thou shalt not kill. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you, if you even have some hate in your heart towards someone, you are already guilty of murder. I'll give you a chance. If you need to leave, this is, this is your chance. Then Jesus goes on in the rest of verse 22 to give some examples. If you call someone an idiot, uh-oh. Some of you did that just on getting your family ready for church this morning, right? We had one of those incidents, right? About like every Sunday morning, my wife runs to Walmart to get all the coffee for you all wonderful people, and I'm in charge of getting everybody else ready, and when she comes home, they're not ready. And uh, she tells our youngest son, who has a long sleeve shirt on, is, it's hot. Go upstairs and change shirts. So he runs away. We don't see him for a few minutes. He comes back downstairs, same shirt, different pants, Now, I wanted to call him an idiot at this point, but I knew what I was preaching this morning. (laughs) And so my wife begins to uh, cross-examination here. Like, son, I told you to change your shirt. Oh, I didn't have time. I had to change my pants. (laughs) And I just, there's a lot of times when either I'm arguing with him or my wife's arguing and the other spouse steps in and goes, just stop. You're not going to win. This is a, this is just a. This is an argument that no one's ever going to win because there's no common sense at all in this conversation, okay? You guys can relate to that. Anyway, Jesus says, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought into the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Whoa. I guarantee you his audience had never heard that before. This was something brand new to them. Jesus says, you all know it's wrong to physically murder someone. You've heard that in your entire life. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you have already committed murder in your heart. Now, Jesus would later clarify this statement by explaining more to his followers that every evil deed that we commit doesn't start from some outward circumstance. And that might be news to some of you guys. It doesn't start from some outside circumstance, but rather from inside our own hearts. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 19. For from the heart, evil thoughts. For from the heart come evil thoughts, and evil thoughts lead to murder, and leads to adultery, and leads to sexual morality, and leads to theft, and leads to lying, and leads to slander. And Jesus says, no, no, that doesn't start out there somewhere in the world. That's in you. That is the wickedness of the human heart. It's not the evil outside of ourselves that should scare us the most, (laughs) 
It's the evil lurking within us that should scare us the most. Here's how John puts it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. He pins it this way. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. So John here is speaking to the Christian that says, I love Jesus, but I still choose to hate people. He goes, that's not the way it works. In fact, he unpacks it a little bit more in 1 John Back it up to chapter two. He says in verse seven, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before. By the way, this is the goal of every law that God ever gave to the nation of Israel was to lead them to a place to love God, love people. That's it. Every law, that's what he's after. Remember when the lawyers came to Jesus and out of all that law, what's the most important? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And no, 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 we didn't want two, we want one. And Jesus said, no, you can't separate these two. You cannot love God and hate people. It is love God and love people because loved people, yeah, okay, verse eight. Yet it is also new. So John says, it's not new, it's not new, it's old. And yet it's new. Why? Because Jesus lived the truth of this new commandment, of this commandment. And you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Now, I just want to take a moment. I think we should pause. And at least, I think it's important that we distinguish between righteous anger and selfish anger. Regular anger. Good anger versus bad anger. Now, I was joking earlier when I said none of us struggle with anger. Of course, we struggle with anger. If I was being honest with you, that's one of my biggest struggles in my life is anger, right? And I wish (laughs) wish I could tell you that the anger that I deal with mostly is righteous anger. But it's not. Now, I could probably justify it in some way. But at at the heart of this thing is not... Anybody else's inconvenience but mine. And we're going to talk about that more in a moment. Righteous anger is when, hear this, righteous anger is when we look around and we see the brokenness around us as a result of sin and it frustrates us. Righteous anger is when we get angry at an injustice in the world, at an evil in the world, at a disease in the world. We especially experience righteous anger when our, frus- when, when our frustration is because of an injustice that's being done to others. Come on. Most of our anger, most of my anger is a result of an injustice that I believe that's been done to me. In fact, most of our anger is a result of us not getting what we want. Can I give you a few examples? Probably one of my biggest struggles, this is confession, you're cheaper than a therapist, is road rage. Okay? I just wish everybody out there was as good a driver as me. 
And, you know, I always, use, when I talk about road rage right here, I talk about when somebody pulls out in front of you, but that's not really the one that gets, the one that gets me is when I need to get from point A to point B. And somebody's out on their Sunday drive, <laughs> slowing down at every tree, at every flower, at every, they're, they're, they're turning the blinker on when there is no turn. And I want to honk, I want to wave with more than one finger. And it just, get out of my, what are they doing? Get out of the way. And more often times that causes an argument between me and my wife because she goes, would you just calm down? Like, don't tell me to calm down. They need to speed up. <laughs> point A, point B, I allotted 10 minutes for us to get there. It's going to take us at least 11 if they don't get out of the way. And you're laughing because you've probably done that too. Yeah, well, what am I really angry at? I'm angry because I want to get to point A and point B, and somebody is keeping me from getting what I want. Let me give you another one. <laughs> we get angry at our kids. Not, not quite, Jeff. We'll be there in a minute. We, we get angry at our kids, and we can justify it, right? Because our kids do dumb things. They say dumb things. They have bad attitudes. They're disrespectful. And we could sit around in a circle all day talking about, this is why I'm angry at my kid. And you know what? We could probably get other people to go, you're justified. You, you have earned their respect as their parent. You deserve their respect as their parent. And I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, if we're honest, our anger, we're, we're going to get to the root of this thing in just a moment, but our anger is because we want our kids to do what we say. We want our kids to respect. We want, I know we earn it. I know we deserve it. We're parents, they're kids. God, God established this, this. Come on, we have to admit, our anger is because in the moment, we're not getting what we want. Now, James James, the brother of Jesus, helps us dig a little deeper in James chapter 4. Look at, look at verse 1 of chapter 4. I, I broke it up because I don't want you to get ahead of me, so just look on the screen with me. Here's what the first part of verse 1 says. What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? That's the question that James asked. What is it that's causing you guys to fight? In other words, what's the root cause of all of this anger and hostility towards each other? To which we would say, wrong question, James. It's not a what. It's a who. Who is causing? And that's easy. It's the person in front of me that's driving too slow. It's my son or my daughter that's being disrespectful, right? We can go down the whole list. It's my annoying neighbor. It's my ungrateful boss. It's the rude cashier. It's not a what. It's a who. And James would say, no, 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 I'm the brother of Jesus. You shut up and listen. It's not a who. It's a what. And as long as we keep thinking it's a who, we will never get to the root of the problem. So what's the real problem? What is the true source of all of this fighting and quarreling? That's what James's question is. He answers it. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? No. No, they don't. They come from the person driving too slow in front of me. They're coming from the person that just pulled out in front of me. They're coming from my daughter that said no to me. They're, it's coming from my boss that overlooked me for the promotion. James goes, no, 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 it's, it's not a who, it's what. 
And couldn't we come to a conclusion that it's coming from the evil desires? James is just saying what John and Jesus has already told us. Jesus, or James says, hey, the problem, the problem's you. Come on, the, the problem at least, okay, because I don't want to own all this when it comes to anger. At least part of the problem. Can we get there this morning? At least part of the problem could be our own. The source of every fight is us not getting what we feel we have earned or feel that we deserve. And then, so put that slide up now, Jeff. The root of your anger is that you and I are not getting what we want. If you forget everything else it said today, this works. You know how I know this works? I've practiced it this week. Every time I got a little angry, and I do get a little angry from time to time, almost every car ride, I'm telling you, there's some idiots, not idiots, sorry. There's some people out on the street that drive not as good, right? And I have kids. I have three teenagers. So sometimes, yeah, that anger yeah. And every time I got mad, I asked myself, what am I not getting? And every time there was an answer. Doesn't mean it was all my fault, but it really started to change the perspective of my anger. We'll get there in just a moment. Stay with me. The root of your anger is that you are not getting something that you want. I'm not saying we don't deserve it. I'm not saying that we haven't earned it. I'm just saying we need to take some ownership here and acknowledge that the source of our fighting, the source of our bitterness, the source of our anger is in us and comes from a place of us not getting what we want. And it would be very helpful, perhaps, perhaps life-changing for some of us in this room to discover what it is that we are not getting that we think we should be getting so that we can at least know why we are angry and why we are fighting and why we are quarreling. Verse two, James says this. He's just, I, he's preaching this sermon. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Here's the problem. As long as we think it's them, and we take no owner, as long as we keep saying it's all their fault that I have, as long as it's them, we will always feel justified to carry things to a very unhealthy outcome. And I pray that nobody in here has ever physically killed somebody. If you have, there's still hope for you. Moses was a murderer. Paul was a murderer. But hear me, you've probably killed some relationships. Maybe through an angry conversation and there hasn't been talk for years or maybe through some, some actions or an attitude and there's been this, this split uh, in relationships. Hmm. It goes on in verse two to say this. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. I have earned that, I deserve that from you, and I will take it from you, even if it costs us our relationship. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't take it. Is that what it says? 
You don't have what you want because what? You see, we think the problem is others. God says the problem is you. But God, you, you know what they've done to me and it's wrong. And God would say, I know it's wrong. But your issue isn't how they've treated you. Your issue is you're not trusting me. But God, you, you know they don't deserve. I, I deserve. I deserve an apology. I deserve the respect. I deserve a better attitude. To which God might not argue with that. He might just say, I know. But I need you to trust me. Let me give you what they should be giving you, but they're not. I need you to trust let me give you what you need. Ask. Ask me. You see, everybody wants to quote Matthew 21 when we get angry. Remember that story? Jesus shows up in the temple, and they're selling stuff. There's all these merchants in the temple, and Jesus starts flipping over tables, and he makes this whip. The scripture is really interesting. You ought to read it. Jesus makes a whip, and he starts whipping people out of the... And we're like, hey, that's the kind of Jesus anger I can get behind. Okay? In fact, there's even a meme about it. I think we'll have it on the screen. Is there, a, is there a meme there, Jeff? Please tell me. Yeah, there is. If anyone ever asks, what would Jesus do? Remind them that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. <laughs> Everybody wants to emulate Matthew 21, Jesus. Nobody wants to emulate 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. Nor did he threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case. We read this verse all the time around here, don't we? He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says it this way. Though Jesus was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born of a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. and He died a criminal's death on the cross. And it's in that context that Paul says in verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You mean flipping over tables and whipping people? No. I mean when you are insulted, you don't insult back. When someone hurts you, you don't seek revenge. You kill your pride and you become humble. Instead of being served, you serve. And Jesus did that for you and me to the death on the cross. And Paul says it's that same mind that we are called to as a church. So what do we do? Well, let's go back to Matthew 5 because there's a few more verses here in the context of anger. Jesus goes on to say, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go 
and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. In short, Jesus says, if there is a problem, fix it. If you have been wronged, if you have wronged, go reconcile. God will wait to receive your worship. Like right now, if you need to leave, leave, go, reconcile. This is how important Jesus is making this topic. I mean, if you're in the middle of God, I want to offer you this gift. And it's in that moment the Spirit reminds you that you are at odds with someone. God says, just just drop it. Just drop. Go and reconcile and then come back and worship and offer your gift to God. Is there anything more hypocritical? Than Christians gathering to worship a loving God and then scattering to hate people. Is there anything more hypocritical than us gathering in this room going, God, we thank you for your love and your forgiveness. And then we walk out these doors and there is no reflection of that love and that forgiveness. In fact, hey, I'm gonna step out on a limb here, but I don't think it's gonna break. I think there's probably hundreds of people in a five-mile radius that's not in church this morning because they heard about a loving God, and yet they saw the unloving Christian not reflecting the loving God. I'm not giving them a free pass. Hey, I don't have to look any farther than this. I preach a loving God, and there's times people do not see that reflection in Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. And you're right, I don't. I don't know your story. And if I heard your story, I would probably agree that what they did was wrong. Really, really, really wrong. Pastor, if you knew the whole story, then you would agree they don't deserve my forgiveness. And you're probably right. I could probably come to that conclusion. They probably don't deserve your love or your forgiveness. But no one has wronged us as much as we wronged Jesus. And even though we don't deserve his love or his forgiveness, he's loved us and he's forgiven us. We still get to experience that. And as kingdom people, we are commanded to do for others as Jesus has done for us. Are you angry? Jesus says, reconcile it. Reconcile it. Not just for your sake, Not for just their sake, I'm sorry, but for your sake. (laughs) I'll never forget the first time I preached uh, forgiving people, forgive people at our church. We were still at the Herky building. And I had a lady come up to me after church, been uh, molested by her father her her entire childhood. And she was weeping. She said, for the first time, for the first time ever, I realized I've got to forgive him. Not because he deserves it, not because he's asked for it, but because I as a sinner came to Jesus asking for his forgiveness and he forgave me. I'll never forget that. It was one of the most powerful conversations I've ever been a part of. And I'm like, wow, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. When we can be set free from something so binding as child molestation, We all agree that's wrong. We all agree he's, I don't know if he went to jail or not. I I never heard the full story, 
But we can all agree as Christians, it does no good to, to hold on to that hurt and that anger because it's not hurting them anymore. It's just hurting you. And in that moment of being reminded of God's forgiveness, she said, for the first time ever, I can let go. I forgive him. Not because he deserves it, but because my heavenly father has forgiven me. Jesus goes on in Matthew 5, 25 to say this, when you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your difference quickly. So not only is Jesus saying fix it, Jesus is saying fix it quickly. Why? Otherwise, your accuser will hand you over to a judge who will hand you over to an officer who will throw you into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid every last penny. Is it possible that part of your anger, part of your anger problem is you? Is it possible, this is another question I wanted to ask, is it possible for us to have righteous anger and react sinfully? We should at least ask ourselves, do we have a part to accept here? Am I guilty at all of this anger that, that just weighs me down? Is there anything that I need to own here? Because if you are, Jesus says, your accuser will hand you over to a judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely, you surely won't be free again until you have paid every last penny. You can be mad all you want, but you won't be set free from the weight of that anger until you reconcile. They're not asking. It doesn't matter. It's not for them. It's for you. happens all the time. We allow ourselves, we allow, we allow somebody else to take up space in our head and in our heart, and we hate them for what they've done to us, and it keeps us awake at night, and you know what they're doing? Sleeping like a baby. And we're tossing and we're turning because we can't believe, and we're scheming on just how we're going to get our reputation back or get even with them or get revenge. It's your peace and it's your joy that is stolen. And Jesus says, you will never be free from all of that baggage until you fix it and you fix it quickly. Jesus says, run to reconcile. Run, leave it, go, come back, run. That's how important this is for, for your sake, for the sake of the kingdom. Run and reconcile. But I didn't do anything. They did said, doesn't matter. Run and reconcile. As Christians, we must set the example of letting it go. Not because they ask for it, not because they deserve it, but because we are trusting our heavenly father, our case. We leave in his hands because we trust that he judges fairly. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus calls us to. Because one day, I love this statement. I don't know if I have it worded just right, but I, I love the thought. Stay with me. One day we are going to 
we are going to get heaven forever. You're going to take your last breath here, and you're going to wake up in the presence of God. And you're going to get to experience that forever, which we don't deserve. So, can we trust God with just a few short, temporary years here of not getting what we think we do deserve? That seems like a good trade. At the most, okay? Some of you look healthy, but I'm just, at the most, 90 years? You, I don't want to live past 90, like, just take me, all right? Some of you are like, I am 90, sorry. We, we, don't, we don't have any of that at all, just kidding. I, I don't know what that age is for you, but, but let's just, let's, let's say 100, Aunt Maxine. She's 100 years old, She's, it's crazy, man. I sat and watched the Cardinal game with a 100-year-old yesterday, and she knows what inning, she knows what out. I'm like, whoa. Lord, don't let me be watching Cardinals at 100 years old, please. Let's just go there, though, for a second. Is that a good trade? A hundred years of maybe us suffering with not getting what we think we deserve to get eternity, the thing in heaven we know we don't deserve. God's saying, trust me. Trust, I know, I know you've been hurt. And maybe it's you that's done the hurting. I know, I need you to reconcile. But here's why I need you to reconcile. Because one day, one day you're gonna step foot. Paul says in chapter, Romans chapter eight, nothing here compares to there, nothing. Your best day doesn't come close to a second in heaven. God says, hey, one day you're gonna get here and you're gonna see it and you're gonna get it. I need you to trust me with your little hundred years. Just that little speck in time compared to eternity. I need you to say, I'm. So here's what you need to do with that anger. Four steps, I'm done. Number one, you need to take responsibility for your anger. The problem is within you. You might not have started it, but I'm telling you, some of this anger that you're feeling it's not all to be blamed on those outside of you. Jesus says the anger comes from within. Number one, take responsibility. Number two, ask, what am I not getting that I want? It's just right underneath it, Jeff. Ask, what am I not getting that I at least acknowledge the what, not the who. This might be life. If you could leave here this morning and take your focus from the who to the what, that might be just life-changing enough for you here this morning that you can be set free. It doesn't change what they've done. doesn't change who they are. It just begins to change your focus, right? Your perspective. Not a who, it's a what. Acknowledge the what. Step three, trust God to give you what you need. What if, crazy concept, the person that's hurt you? What if you prayed for them instead of fight with them? Just try it. When we start to, because the fighting basically is us. When we, when we come on church, when we're fighting, it's basically saying, God, I don't know if I can trust you with this. You just hang out there. I'll take care of this one. 
Well, I just think it's funny that, you know, that's usually how the fight starts. That wasn't funny at all. I thought he was getting a joke. That wasn't a joke. I got this one, God. You know what prayer is? Prayers. Hold on. God, I'm, 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 they've really hurt me. I mean, they've said something that cost me the promotion. They've, 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 they've gossiped about me enough that there's people believing the lie. I don't even want to look at my neighbor. I don't even want to talk to my mom and dad. I can't even, listen, I'll die for my kid. I don't like them though right now. I don't even be around them. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to leave my case, this case that I feel is very winnable here. I'm going to give it to you. I'm leaving my case in your hands because you are the just judge. Wow. Own your anger or it will own you. Whether it's your fault or not, own your anger or it will own you. And Jesus wants to set you free from it. And number four, this is really deep. Let it go. They don't have to deserve it. They don't have to ask for it. Let it go. I wanted to title my sermon, You Mad Bro? Let it go. But that was kind of cheesy. Let it go. Hey, for your sake, but ultimately, for the sake of the kingdom of God. Because remember, Jesus is now showing us what we need to do to be his followers. You might say, nope, this isn't for me. That's okay, but just understand, you can't walk away from the teaching of Jesus and be a follower of Jesus. You can't. You can't pick and choose what you want to submit to. And so if you're not there, because let's just be honest, we're nope, Okay, we're not going to kick you out of the church because I have a lot of nopes in my life. But would you at least consider what we've talked about this morning, what Jesus has taught us? And would you at least start being honest with just this simple prayer? God, I know I should forgive them. I can't yet. Just start there. Just start there. And maybe, just maybe, God will show you that all of that anger is not just outside of you. Some of it is in you. And you need to let it go so that you can be free as his people in his kingdom for the world to look in and go, wow, that's different. That's different. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. Whether we... Whether it's easy to accept or not, we are thankful for your word. We know there's grace where we fail. And when it comes to anger, we're going to fail. We're going to leave. There's probably going to be some road rage today as we leave here. God, we know that we're a work in progress. You are working to sanctify us, to set us apart completely holy. God, would you begin to help us maybe follow those steps this morning and letting go of something that's maybe held us as a prisoner for years. 
that's cost us relationships, that's cost us years of conversations. May we, in this moment, take responsibility, ask the question, what are we not getting? May your spirit reveal that. May your spirit reveal where we need to do some repenting. May we own our anger. May we trust you with the need. God, help us. Help us let it go. And if we're not there yet, would you begin softening our hearts? May we at least start praying, God, I can't, but I want to. I want to, be, I want to be free from this, and I know you can set me free from it, so I'm asking you to do the work to get me to the place that I can let go. Oh, God, may this church, this small church on Main Street be a church that shows the world what it looks like to be walking, talking, children of God. And we cannot do that while walking around angry and hateful towards people. Love God, love people. That's the goal. Help us get there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you. Hey, no road rage on the way home, please, all right? When you're tempted to honk, just go, what am I not getting that I want here, all right? God bless you. Have a great week.